Hey everyone, it's Misty Lynn with the 52 Portrait Project. Today I'm talking with Paquetta Palmer. Finally, Paquetta and I got together. We've been trying to get together since I think maybe February. It's been a long time. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. Misty. No, no, don't apologize. I'm just grateful that we're doing it now. <laughs> um, I usually give a list of like some, your, you know, what people do in the world when I start. But when I looked you up, there was no really clear definition of what you do. So would you mind telling us what you do daily in the world for your job? For my job, I work at Washtenaw County um, in the community mental health. And I am not representing them in any way in this interview. But I am a customer resource specialist. I do administrative work. I do reception work. But mainly, I do the front line where I'm there in the lobby, so I'm interacting with all of the clinicians, all of the clients, and all the visitors. Our clients are considered SPMI, which is severely and persistently mentally ill. And so oh. you have really, really varying levels of people, like people who sometimes can't be in a group or sometimes, you know, are incontinent or sometimes uh, are just having a really bad episode or sometimes are being involuntarily committed. And mm. sometimes it's just a beautiful day when everyone's doing great and there are no issues. But generally, it's a job where you have to be compassionate but at the same time, firm, like when people say, do you have any snacks? And we have to say, sadly, no, we don't have snacks. We used to. We don't have coffee. We used to. People don't get it when you hear the word budget cut, what that means. Mm. But when you're doing human services, those little things were comforting to people, right. like having a snack or having coffee. Uh, yeah, it's tough. I'm hoping that they passed a public safety and mental health millage. Mm. In Washtenaw County. Oh, great. So in January, some new funding will be coming through, and we're hoping that that will help with crisis services because a lot of the people that we work with in the downtown community mental health office are homeless or otherwise housing insecure. They're like couch surfing. What we deal with is mental health and substance treatment. So there's all these ebb and flow variables that mm -hmm. affect how people are okay. doing what they're doing. All right. So I'm going to go back a little bit. I did find two things online that I thought were so interesting. Number one was your, I guess it's kind of a bio for the Ann Arbor Ambassadors Facebook page. This was how Paquetta described herself on that page. And it kind of describes what I know about you. So it says, I have lived in Ann Arbor since September 1979. I work as a customer resource specialist at Washtenaw County Community Support and Treatment Services. Is that the same as what you just said? They changed the name to Community Mental Health. Oh, okay. Because that name was so confusing yes, to people. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they were like, say. what do you do? Where yeah, do you right. <laughs> I am the opening night food coordinator for the Ann Arbor Film Fest. I'm a volunteer cook at Food Gatherers slash Shelter Association Community Kitchen. I'm a volunteer cook at the Neutral Zone. I am a regular at Old Town, and I am an informal health and human services advocate as needed. I love reggae, baking, and hot weather. Yes, does that sum I you have, up or what? Yes, it does. <laughs> because my knees have gotten worse, I'm not doing as much standing cooking, but I'm catering on the side. And uh, I've recently been going to a lot of the Ann Arbor Police Task Force review meetings, as well as 
some affordable housing advocacy because um, I had to move under duress this past summer and the disparities in income and affordable housing issues in Washtenaw County are really near and dear to my heart because I've lived here for years on a modest income, but I just feel the pinch and I see the demographics changing here to where working class people really can't afford to live Mm -hmm. here. And it really bugs me because a lot of my friends in my core community are people that are in those middle to low incomes. And I know that they provide really essential services like, you know, nurses, waitstaff, dental hygienists, police, you know, fire. There's a lot of people who work here that cannot afford to live in this county. Yeah, there's something inherently wrong (laughs) about that. When people that are supposed to protect you can't live in your community. Yes. That seems crazy to me. It is crazy. And I think that people have not really taken account of how that affects the services Mm -hmm. they deliver. Um, When someone has to commute here for an hour, you know, it's not the same as if they live in your community. And it really does make a difference. And I hope that we'll be looking more at that. Uh, There's a new effort. There's some equity um, efforts going on now, one through the city of Ann Arbor and another through the county. The bottom line is, I think that in this day and age of evidence-based practices, I really think we have all the data we need. I think we need more action. We need ways to implement programs and services that make a way for people to stay in a community that are contributing to the community and are part of essential services in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, that it shouldn't just be something that's always talked about, talked about, talked about. There should be action plans. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping will happen with these efforts. You can tell already from the short time we've been talking that you're very invested in community and in activism. You're very involved and care about what's happening to the people around you. And the way that I met you was at the bar that you were a regular at. I was a bartender. And Paqueta is actually the reason I got health care after not having it for years and years and years. She came up to me. She'll just come up to you in a public place and ask you about your health care, which is important because it makes you feel seen and cared for. That is what community is to me. I think you had a bad cold or something. Something like that. You said, why don't you have, why didn't you go to the doctor or something? Yeah. yeah. I was like, Misty, what are you doing? I, <laughs> I probably had a cough for two months. Cause- and dragging yourself to work like that, yeah. which is also a problem yes. because like right now we have a hep A outbreak yeah. and people don't realize that Infection can be caused by a pinpoint piece of blood or bathroom from that person. And you really have to be so incredibly careful. Yeah. And so I knew that you were exposed to all these people on your job. Yeah, that's right. This is not going to get better unless you get to a doctor. Yeah. And look what happened. Now I've had health care since then. Thank God. Yes. Thank Paquetta. It's a priority. It's a priority. (laughs) No, yeah. I, I really, I think this county, that is one thing that, uh, thanks to Ellen Rabinowitz, I was hired at the Washtenaw Health Plan as a patient advocate, and I have since gone on from public health into community mental health, but healthcare, due to her efforts, as well as Bob Gillette and some of the people involved from the very beginning, it's always been viewed in Washtenaw County as a right, not a privilege. Mm-hmm. That is why the Washtenaw Health Plan was designed. What a wonderful health plan. It They're really amazing. saved me. Yes. And they reached out to people and said, if you need health care, please come to us. 
we're going to find a way to make it happen. Mm. And before the Affordable Care Act came into place, that was by piecemeal efforts. Like you could get your birth control from Title X or Title IX, I forget what it was. Then you could also get maternity care. You could get care for kids. You could get breast care from uh, Title 15. And now all those things are afforded to you if you qualify under Affordable Care Act. And we also care for people who are in our midst but are maybe undocumented Mm. or not quite what they need to do to be on Medicaid. The thing that is important about health care for me is when one of us is sick, the potential for all of us to be sick Mm. is so high. And I've never understood people that are selfish and say, well, why don't you change your personal habits or why don't you do this or do that? That's all a moot point when the person is sick and they're in your midst. That's right. So just to give the people listening an idea of how long you have been advocating for people in Washtenaw County, I found this article. Do you remember an article in Agenda magazine? Do you remember this? Oh, wow. Is it a a magazine or a newspaper? That's a throwback. Yeah. Yeah. Agenda was a progressive newspaper started by Lori Wechter and Ted Sylvester and Phyllis you know Phyllis from Lunchroom? She worked on oh, it, too. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I Agenda love that was so much. Really beautiful, progressive paper. Yeah, so they what did a feature on you. First of all, you were addressing the problems of the day in 1987, and they reflect the problems of today so clearly that I had to, I pulled a couple quotes out even just to just to share cause, and see what you think about it. But wow. anyway, just to show how long Paquette has been doing this, this was her bio from that piece in 1987. Local activist Paquetta Palmer is the assistant coordinator of the Detroit branch of the National Lawyers Guild. She serves on the board of the Alternatives to Violence Project. She's an active member of the American Friends Service Committee, Peace and Education Committee, the Ann Arbor Housing Commission, the Washtenaw Affordable Housing Corporation, the Washtenaw County Coalition Against Apartheid, the Black Women's Support Group, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and the Ann Arbor National Lawyers Guild working for a just Supreme Court. That was in 1987. I can't even. I don't know where that energy came from, but thank you, Lord, I'm not working at that level anymore. Because none of those were paid jobs, just so you know. Yeah, right. That's why I had to get a real job, because (laughs) I was wearing myself out. And at that time, it was like, it seemed so urgent. And now Mm. it's like fire emergency. I can't even imagine. You mean like nowadays it's worse? Yes. Yeah. A lot of those issues that we thought we had solutions for or were addressing, apparently we went wrong somewhere because we don't have the solutions that we thought we were going to have. Even like the peace work, you know, we thought, oh, yeah, if we just get rid of Reagan and if we just stop these missiles up at uh, Williams International and if we just have this women's peace camp in England at Greenland Common, we're going to really make a change. And I just feel like we've gone backwards. We haven't, we haven't really made the progress we need to make. Yeah, on peace. I'm gonna shut this right now. Yeah, it just, it is, it's disheartening. But I also think of that Frederick Douglass quote: "Power concedes nothing without a struggle." So you don't want to give up. You want to keep struggling, but it's very difficult. I hate to see what we're leaving for kids. You know, these beautiful children are being left some very, very challenging problems. And in 87, I don't think we had a clue what climate change meant. Yeah, so I'm going to read a couple things just to compare to now. These are quotes from uh, the interview with Paquetta. 
I think we have to ask why it is that people in this country can be comfortable and have every technical advantage possible and yet be unable to see that it is at the expense of others. A lot of white middle class people don't feel like they are responsible, but when people don't do anything, they're part of the problem. I think a worry-free life is attractive to people. They don't question where the need comes from to consume. Where does the need come from for kids to want $90 tennis shoes? For a lot of these families, that's half the money for the month. The saddest part is that all we have could be used for peaceful means. This country could set an example to the entire world by redistributing the wealth for human needs. It is a possibility here, yet 5 out of 10 people in this country don't have health insurance. There's virtually no plan on which you can get a pair of glasses or get your teeth cleaned. That's considered extra, and this is the wealthiest country in the world. And it hasn't changed I much. know, right? And the things that kids value, it's like, what are we teaching them? That old song by the OJs, The Almighty Dollar. It's like, I am not against money. I, mm-hmm. Hey, I would love to have yeah. money like anyone else. But you don't need excess. And that's where I think we've fallen down. We've missed the point on living that luxury lifestyle because watching TV doesn't mean it's going to be afforded to you. You know, you see that people actually live like that, but it's so out of reach for you. And it's sad because when you tell people, well, opportunity in the U.S. means acquiring as much money as possible, it's like there's something very wrong with the picture. If you can't get glasses or your teeth clean, you're going to get very ill. Yeah. There's certain basics There's a lot of kids living in poverty now, and that just bugs me. When you're living in that type of situation, it's really hard to see your way out. And inequality is something we could address if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I want to move now to, you were suggested for this project by Jean Henry, who is another Ann Arborite. And I asked her to just write a little bit about why she was suggesting you. And so I want to read you now what she wrote. She says, I've known Paquetta Ann Palmer for almost 35 years, since I was 19. Here's what you need to know about the divine Miss P. She's a survivor. She's an activist. She's a chef and organizer and honorary auntie to what is now a few generations of this community's children. She's a fierce mama lion for her chosen family and her community, especially those most marginalized by our society. She shows up where needed. She shows up when life hits you hard and others scatter. She will be present for her friends and those in need. She feeds us, challenges us to be better, forgives us, loves us, offers up wisdom with knowing humor and a belly laugh, and then she gets us up on the dance floor. She will be heard. She can be confrontational and demanding or thoughtful and mediating. She will call you sweetie or sexy or honey. She will woo you. More times than I can count, I've seen her enter a less than animated protest and witness the energy level spike. She brings the party to protest. She will lead the call and response until her voice goes hoarse and people will listen. She has an authority not offered her by this culture. She has the authority gained by knowing her own mind. She has authority of her own making. She's a leader. People rise to the bar she sets. She's proud and she's vulnerable. She will not be denied, but she is a giver. Many women are all these things, or at least most of these things from time to time. Paquetta is all of them all the time. Paquetta is just more so. She's strong stuff, a woman of substance. She'll tell you herself that she's a queen. You will not argue. My 12-year-old son does not understand why black women are not running the world because Paquetta holds power and love and light in his life. He sees her working every funeral, every fundraiser, every celebration, making the food, hustling donations, and giving out direction. 
He knows she shows up, rolls up her sleeves, and sets about the hard work of caring for others and building community resilience. He does not know that she has walked through fires. Maybe he will learn someday that the people who most embody the spirit of generosity came to their compassion through struggle. Paquetta Palmer chose to live and live well. Paquetta chose to mother her community rather than her own children. She's raising us all up. We are lucky she chose to live here. We're lucky that she chose us. And if you forget that, she's going to let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that beautiful, though? Yes. it's. I really cannot honor Jean enough for saying that. It means a lot to me. And my relationships in this community are incredibly important to me. What we have built mutually is what I call my family by choice. I'm not as close to all of my bio family as some people are, but I'm extremely close with my family here in Mm. Washtenaw County. And I will be forever grateful for that because we, we chose each other. I mean, I remember when I moved here, I never would say Paquetta. I would always say my name was Ann Palmer. And I remember uh, Brian Tomczyk is the one who said that one day. He was like, if your name is Paquetta, why are you telling people to call you <laughs> Anne? And I was like, because Paquetta is really a tough name, and I didn't want to go through the trouble of saying the name for everyone all the time. And It's so from, beautiful, though. Well, from that day forward, everyone was like, her name is Paquetta. Her name <laughs> is not Anne. So it, it's been hilarious. I remember I would also, when I was a ward clerk at U Hospital, I would say Miss Palmer. And everybody was like, who is that? And it was just hilarious because they kind of gave me my own name back mm-hmm. and said, no, you're Paquetta, and that's it. Oh, that's beautiful. My mom had told me she got that name from a woman that she met while she was in labor. She said the name is from Brazil. Well, to be honest, I was very skeptical because there were some issues that my mom had, and I wasn't sure if she really remembered correctly what happened. So back in the day when the Del Rio existed, I was going to the Del Rio on a Sunday. And on Sundays, they always had jazz. So I sat down on the little stoop there, and a guy sat down next to me while we waited. And he had a t-shirt on. It said, Isla de Paqueta. And I said, oh my goodness, that is my exact name with one T. And he was like, oh, I'm from Brazil, and this is an island off the coast of Rio. And it's a real island. You should look it up. Oh, I love that. It's like our Mackinac. And it has one of the oldest African baobab trees in the Western Hemisphere. It's my dream to see those. Really? Yes. I've never seen one in person, I don't think, unless... Because I have been to uh, South Africa and Namibia and Zambia, but I don't think I've seen one. And Nairobi. Where's that? Nairobi? That's in Kenya. Okay. That's East Africa. Because you went there for... For the World Meeting of Women. That's right. 14,000 women from all over the world. It was incredible. Oh, my goodness. There were women that flew there from all over, but there were women that walked five days to get there. So it was a huge, incredible mix of women. Wow. It was really, really beautiful. It sounds like a very hopeful experience. It really was. I mean, literally, there was not enough time in the day because in between the Uh, workshops and all the mass meetings, we would just sit and exchange information. With women from it was all only one day. Oh no! Oh, I was, was going to say cheese. <laughs> I think it was like two weeks. Oh, good. Yeah, it was good. a huge. It was a really, really big meeting. That did give me a different perspective, though, in terms of like sororities, 
and various women's organizations because a lot of those organizations have a very progressive agenda and it may not be manifested in their day-to-day work but they certainly are aspiring to do Mm. more and that really I really respected them at a different level after going to that meeting it was really good amazing you have women I mean imagine it was like the Kuwaiti women incredibly rich they had all the materials were top-notch, beautiful, full color. It was oh. like, this was back in the day when we were still doing, I forget what you call it, but you made copies by turning this thing, and it was Whoa. like a, I forget, mimeograph, I think it was called. Oh, but we didn't have, the technology that we have now as activists is amazing to me. And it seems like we could do so much more, mm. but we're not, and I really don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like the um, the big march we had in Central Park, the No Nukes March. That was like a million people, and we didn't have no kind of no iPhone internet. Or internet. Well, that's amazing to think about. Yes, it was amazing. Yeah. I was thinking about that when I went to that Women's March in D.C., because what we did in New York was all the feeder marches marched in, and then after they marched in, there was rally. Well, in D.C., they had a huge rally, and then they tried to have a march. And it seems so bizarre that that's Mm. the way that was organized. But it was like, what happened to the organizing? Didn't we learn anything? It's like, you can't have a march after a rally. No, right. you got to march to (laughs) To the the rally. (laughs) It doesn't make sense to just have people standing there for hours. Oh, my God. Yeah, little simple things like that can make a movement. You know, I'm like... Do you find hope in those little things that seem to be happening now? Because there's yes. so much turmoil, but there's also these little pockets of hope. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like Dr. Mona from Flint, Dr. Ford, who came out about this Kavanaugh thing, all the Me Too things. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a very twisted, humbling, sad experience for a lot of people, but just calling it out. Mm-hmm. means so much yeah it, and you having worked in a bar i don't have to tell you oh. <laughs> no you don't yes you don't have to tell most women though yes most women know yep. but it's never been acknowledged in a capitalist society like this there should be penalties that yes. are financial then people will really get it when you do this here's on a what's sliding gonna, scale thank yes. you very much here's what's gonna happen <laughs> you know, to you that's based right. on your income that's right That's why I'm glad some of these powerful men are losing millions of dollars. If you harass women at that level, if you've raped them, if you've had a rape culture that you've, then you, there should be consequences. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. Where were you born? I was born in Detroit. I was born at Herman Kiefer. That was the public hospital. What is a little bit of your background? You were born in Detroit and I read that you were born into poverty. Yes. My mom was a single mom. She had myself and two sisters, and she eventually had a very severe drinking problem. So I think by the time I was eight, she had, my one sister died. So it was my sister Mary, me, and my brother Doug. So she had three kids. I was eight years old, and it had become increasingly difficult for us because her drinking got to be really, really bad. So by the time I was eight, you know, I experienced some systematic child abuse that was getting more severe. So one day I was very frustrated. I told my teacher, the cops came, they took pictures of the bruises I had, and we ended all three of us getting taken away. 
Well, my older sister was really angry and felt like I had ruined our home life, which was already compromised. But it ended up that she went back with my mother and my brother and I went into foster care. And from 8 to 12, I was in and out of different foster homes. And so were my other siblings. And then my mother subsequently had three other children. She ended up having seven children and they all went into foster care. Mm. So... When my sister was placed back to her, nothing changed, so she ended up going into foster care too. And when I was 12, one of the social workers at the friend of the court, her name was uh, Mrs. Cato, she said, you know what, there's a school in Ohio, I really want you to go there because I think it would be very good for you therapeutically. And it was called Rosemont School. And it was run by the Sisters of the Good Shepherd who also have a school here in Michigan called Vista Maria. And some of the girls at Vista Maria have had uh, really severe discipline problems. I was always somebody who questioned things Mm -hmm. and talked back and had issues with authority that I felt wasn't benefiting me. So what Mrs. Cato said to me was, you know what, you're a super smart girl. I think, you know, I'd already skipped one grade by then. And her feeling was getting me in a therapeutic setting where I could also do academics was going to be really good for me. So I went to Rosemont School. Thank God for people like her, huh? Yes. She had foresight. In fact, it was really interesting because I remember there was an airline called Allegheny Airlines, and it was a puddle jumper. It went from Detroit to Columbus, and that was the first time I had ever been on a plane. And we went to visit this school. It was run by nuns. And... One of the most pivotal people in my life, who I'm still very, very close to, a teacher, James Clager, worked there. His nickname is Kip, and we're still very, very close to this day. He was a teacher there, and his wife at the time, Diane, who I'm also still very close to, and I I adore both of them, because they saw something in me that I didn't even know Mm -hmm. I had in myself. But they have three sons, Tyrone and Aaron and Nate. And they have two twin daughters that are 28. And the two twin daughters are from Kip and Val, his wife that he married after Diane. And we're all very, very close. Like, Diane stays with them, and we all stay together whenever I'm in Columbus. So we're all very, very close. And this has been since I was 12 or 13. Mm. Like, wow. When when I was moving back to Detroit, Kip and Diane were like, you know what, we really love you, we really want to stay in touch with you, and I was looking at them like, these people, I'm like, they're hippies, they're white, they don't know what's going on with me, <laughs> Yeah, right. they're not going to do it, but they were so incredible, like, my dad had married subsequently, and so I, when I moved back to Michigan, I couldn't live with my mom, who still had a lot of issues, but I ended up living with my dad and my stepmom, and my dad and I were like oil and water, because I was a young teenager, mm-hmm. And whenever I would get really depressed and he and my stepmom would fight or whatever was going on with me, I would just call Kip Collect. Mm. And he would be like, are you okay? Is everything all right? Do you need me to come and get you? I mean, I have done so many crazy things like, but what that taught me was about unconditional love. Mm. Because they were like, we do love you. We care about you. And we are here for you. Mm. And they really have been consistently. And that was something that I had never experienced at that level. So I knew they were sincere. And that's happened to me a lot here in Ann Arbor, too, because I have some very, very 
close friends that are family to me, and I'm ever grateful for mm-hmm. it. You know, really grateful. You went to U of M? Is that right? No. I no? went to Barra College in okay. Lake Forest, Illinois. For social work? Is that? No. Oh, and really? I dropped out. I never got a degree. Really? No. No, it was terrible. I was so terrified. Like, it's strange. When I see kids now get loans anywhere from 60000 to 300000 Oh, my gosh. It is shocking to me. I had 5000 in loans, and I was terrified. Yeah. Because I had no idea how I was going to pay them back. Now, as far as being educated, I do feel fortunate. I've taken tons of courses, tons of seminars. I'm informally educated. Right. So, at some level, I feel like... Probably if there was some way to test out of a bachelor's, I could do it. Right. But I hadn't really taken the time to go back to school because when, when I became an activist, all my activism campaigns yeah. were what I was doing. And that's where, that is school. Yeah. It was definitely school. Hard, yeah. That's like the hardest way to learn, but I'm sure you learned a lot through that. Yes. How to deal with people. That's like the most Absolutely. important thing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I became a member of the Communist Party. I was in the Women's International League. Got to you know became it. a member of the Communist Party? Yes. Wow. When I first moved here, I was very active in the CPUSA. Really? And a lot of people knew that from my past that remember that. We would have study groups. I mean, that's why when people talk about communism, I'm like, I have read Das Kapital. Right. I know. So I don't know where you are on that scale. But right. There's good and bad in every system. Right. I don't think communism's perfect. I mean, look at all the things that have happened since then. Right. But I do have to say that learning about Angela Davis and various other radicals in the Communist Party was one of the most educational things I've Mm. ever done. She, in fact, was in Nairobi with me. Oh, wow. Yes. And we hung out there and many times over the years when she comes through Detroit or Ann Arbor. In fact, I have a friend. I said to her, Angela Davis is coming. Let's go see her. I know her. And she didn't believe me. (laughs) So we walk into the auditorium, and Angela was standing there, and she was like, oh, my God, Paquetta, you're still in Ann Arbor? I was like, I'm still here. And my my friend was in shock because she thought I was kidding. I was like, I'm not kidding. (laughs) This is for real. That's amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, we have some incredible history of socialists and communist Americans. And I think a lot of people, they just think of those words like the boogeyman. Right. It's just sad. I mean, I just look around and I just think, you know what? I can't even. Yeah. I can't even. I can't educate every person around me. <laughs> you ain't lying, especially these people that worry about being a minority. We have this group of white people now that are terrified of being the minority. And I really, I just have so much resentment because I feel like, you know what? That's because you think people are going to treat you That's the way right. you treated other minorities. And that is not our way. It's really sad. Uh, so I sent you these eight questions. And I'm really interested to hear because we started to talk about it before we started rolling. But the first question is, do you have a practice spiritual knot or ritual that you engage in regularly? And you said that you don't, but you've learned a lot from a lot of different places. But then you mentioned earlier that you rejoined the Catholic Church or something. So what's your history with that? I'm interested in how Paqueta, where do you get fuel for everything you do in the world? And is a spiritual practice part of that at all? My or spiritual was practice has been very varied. I feel fortunate that I, what happened with the Catholicism was Rosemont School in Columbus, Ohio was a Catholic school. It was run by nuns. I ended up converting to Catholicism there and finding a lot of solace in mm. it. And my godmother is a nun. She is somebody who I met there. 
And back then, it was kind of a, it made me feel like I belonged. Mm. And I really took it on wholeheartedly. So when I moved back to Detroit and lived with my dad and stepmom, that's when I got, um, on the same day I got confirmed, baptized, and First Communion. Mm. As time went on, I began to study liberation theology of some of the more progressive Catholics like Dorothy Day. And I realized that I could not stick with the conservative mm. end of it. So I grew apart from it at some level, but I held on to some things too. It was hard because, again, I was being exposed to a lot of progressive activists. So I was exposed to Buddhism and I was exposed to Islam and I was exposed to Hinduism. And I began to think, you know, there's something in each of these mm -hmm. that I find valuable and I don't have to be wedded strictly to one or the other. So my spiritual practice really is being accepting of what I'm feeling deep in my heart that I know is right or wrong, and also being honoring of whatever people's practice is as long as it's nonviolent and believes in equal justice. Mm. So at one point I was attending Quaker meeting quite a bit mm. here in Ann Arbor. I always wanted to do that. It's very, I found a lot of solace in it. And I also was working with the American Friends Service Committee, which is their activism wing. And I really, really enjoyed meeting a lot of the Quaker people and working with them. And they were doing some very good work. I was an organizer for them in the uh, Stony Brook neighborhood here mm -hmm. in Ann Arbor. And that was a really good learning experience for me. And I also did some work with them through alternatives to violence with a lot of ex-offenders. That was tough for me because I didn't like going inside jails. Mm. That was tough. Understandable. Yeah. When they locked the doors, like, oh, my God, you know, am I going to get out of here? Mm -hmm. I, I felt a lot of anxiety around that. So I'm very hopeful for people to be reentered into society mm. and get the help they need. But it is tough. The whole prison industrial complex is so horrible. It's really mm -hmm. affected primarily people of color and poor people in such profound ways. And now our incarceration rate is the highest in the world. And it's very worrisome because it's kind of like we've given up on people that have been incarcerated. And I know that affects so many families and so many kids. So over the years, I've done some really interesting projects. Um, I just feel like you can't just throw away the key when you've got a human. you got to really pay attention to try and do what you can to help them heal and get back in our society. Mm -hmm. I'm noticing that we'll start talking about Paqueta and then Paqueta's mind always shifts to who's hurting and how to help the hurting because we went from you know your religious upbringing and or your religious path and then all of a sudden we're talking about the prison industrial complex. Yes there's a lot of hurting going on yeah. and it's tough for me because sometimes I have to force myself to make myself the primary like we were talking earlier about self-care. Yeah. That's been one of the hardest things for me because I feel like, am I going to take this three hours to go to the gym or am I going to do a phone bank, you know, when I really should be in the gym, not right. on the phone bank. So. Yeah. Can you talk a little more about that? I feel like that's a really important topic. What do you think it is that motivates you? This might be actually off the self-care topic, but we'll start here. Like you were talking about how you go to the Quaker house and then all of a sudden you find yourself walking over to the activist wing of the, like, what motivates you to do that? 
Whenever I see people doing activism, I've always been attracted to it because it made me feel like I had a way out of no way. I always felt very empowered by activism because it's something that gives you a chance to change the circumstance. It's like, I may be poor, I may not have the right shoes, I may not get enough to eat, but I'm still worthy. Mm. I'm still worthy of being treated well. And meeting people who said, yeah, you are a good person. You deserve to have a happy life. And like going to Kip and Diane's, honestly, some of my issues, some of my post-traumatic stress around food. And it was the first time I went to a house where they were like, you can eat whatever you want that's in this house. I was even in a foster home where they would buy separate food and then it was restricted. The kids weren't allowed uh, to eat certain things. Yeah. And so I had never literally been in a house where it was like me and the boys, whatever was there, if we wanted to eat it and cook it. Anytime. Could. Yeah, anytime. And when you've had that kind of less than or been taught that you don't deserve more or even adequate mm -hmm. things, it's really hard to flip that script. Your internal voice is so important. You know what I mean? I've always had an internal voice telling me I was worthy, and I really didn't know where it came from, mm. you know. But at the same time, I need to get that internal voice to actually make me care for myself mm. in the ways, it's interesting, you know what I mean? the difference, yeah. Valuing yourself, having that internal voice be flipped, and also valuing yourself. Because there's ways that they may not say it verbally, but... Sometimes people feel like, well, you don't have the right clothes, you don't have a weave, you don't have this, you don't have that, so you're not worthy. And I've never felt that I was not worthy. Mm. I've always felt like I was worth loving. I don't feel anyone's more important than me, but neither is anyone less than me. So it's very important to me to help uplift people and be with them through their journeys because I remember what it felt like to feel so low, mm -hmm. you know? and that nobody cared about you, or just how much it hurts when, you know, the whole idea of mothering and how people are mothered is so important in our culture. When you haven't been mothered in the way that you need or should have been, there's not a lot of sympathy for that. Mm -hmm. People don't get right. it. They're yeah. just so used to it. Like, I'm very, I'm not envious, but I'm so glad that I got to see my friends be adult women friends with their moms mm. because that's something I always wanted. I have Diane and I have Val and I have a lot of other women in my life that are super important to me. But it's hard because it's still not your bio mom mm -hmm. and you can wish it were, but I wouldn't trade them because I know that they love me for who I really am mm. and that we are really close. And they remember me as the vulnerable kid yeah. and an adult. And that's really what it's about. It's like, you know, the bonds that women have, there's nothing quite like that. That's when you have too. a good relationship. Yep. Very true. So how do you think that translates to self-care? Like you say you struggle with the actual, maybe there's a difference between emotional self-care, which it seems you're good at, and physical self-care. Is that the difference, maybe? or I think it's all of that. I think it's emotional, yeah. mental, spiritual. 
the levels of self-care, let me tell you, being in Ann Arbor, I've really learned yeah. that there are many, many, <laughs> many levels of self-care. I true. mean, when I hear people say they're doing flotation tank <laughs> and Reiki and their color auras yeah, and right. their breath work and their meditation work and their Tai Chi and their Qigong. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, it's like, if I did all that, I could not work full time. That's right. That's right. So you have to pick and choose. And I think a lot of it, like we were discussing earlier, when you didn't feel well, it's like, when you don't feel well, there's nothing like that as a motivator. Right. So right now I'm using that as a motivator to try and do more for yeah. myself. So, so yeah, now it's time. It's almost like that. that's the gift that comes out of an ailment, is that you have to slow down Yes. and take a look. What's going on? It's a little little flag saying, okay, it's time. Yes. Oh, man. And value your body. You only get yeah. one body. So it's, you got to work with it. That's the interesting thing about getting older for me is that now that things are kind of like, you can't imagine as a younger person what it's going to feel like when your body starts changing. And now that my body has started changing, I'm sure the accident didn't, happen, didn't help. But, you know, it's like super humbling but then you have to get real because, oh, okay, this is going to happen. I need to at least try to prolong, you know, having what I have. They've made all these advances and are showing now that exercise is really an incredible brain booster. Mm. And that for your brain to be healthy, you need physical exercise. Mm. And at one point, I, um, I, I think you knew that I lost a friend, Chloe Duke. I knew you lost somebody. I didn't know who it was. Yeah. That yeah. Was, Chloe yeah. was like my ass kicker workout buddy. Mm. She would always be there for me. Like when we would do laps, she would say, okay, do one more for me. Mm. And when she got sick, it was devastating for me. It was very difficult because there's always that person who's your motivator. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know about other people, but for me, she was that. And... It just was really hard for me since I lost her. I haven't been as able to kick myself in the butt. But lately I have been trying to use her as a motivator and say, you know what, Chloe would be happy if you did one more lap around this block, you know, so. Mm. So she's with you in, in yes, that way. Yeah. She's with me in that way. And I don't, I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, I want to go, you know, run 10 miles or, you know, swim all over or whatever I've never been that person but I'm making the connection intellectually that this is what I need to feel better and to go into my 60s because like you say when your body changes that's it mm -hmm. you really need to pay attention mm -hmm. so I'm trying to it's very difficult because I, I didn't want to admit that you know I was in as much pain but I just got x-rays, and the doctor was like, yes, you do have severe arthritis. We do have to pay attention mm. more. And so I am getting an orthopedic consultation, but it is difficult. You know, I worry. I worry, am I ready to get surgery? Am I going to do the rehab mm -hmm. well? You know, it's just, it's scary. It, it is, just scares yeah, you. Yeah, I imagine. Mental, emotional, and physical and spiritual self-care is very difficult. In my case, I feel really guilty because, for instance, I got Oasis hot tub. I got four sessions. I haven't taken them all. Mm. I could. Mm -hmm. Why don't I? I don't know. I got a free massage I got to take at V. You know, it's like these are things that my friends give to me and say, 
go ahead and take care of yourself. And when I don't do it, I feel kind of guilty. But then I don't want to get caught in that loop either right. of feeling crappy. Yeah, what do you think it is that stops you? Do you have any idea what it is? I don't know. But one of the ways I've found to get over the barrier is to just say, Hey, Misty, do you want to go to the hot tub? Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just get someone to go with me, and then I feel better about it. So I'm starting to do that more and just admitting that. Maybe I need, you need a buddy. Yeah, I need yeah. a buddy to do it with. And that's it. I'm just going to go with that. Yeah. Know? So let's see. How should we wrap this up? So we've covered your spiritual side, community. We covered what you're devoted to, all the work you do in the world, which is so inspiring. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I wonder, like, I've always wanted to do this thing, like Oprah, at the the end of her interviews. Have you ever seen that, Super Soul Conversations? Is that on TV? It's a podcast. Oh, a podcast. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I know people have different feelings about Oprah this way and that way. I happen to love her. I love Oprah. I do too, yeah. But anyway, (laughs) at the end, she always, she'll, like, list these really simple questions, but they're, like, big questions. So maybe we'll end with a couple big questions. Okay, you ready? Okay. Do you believe in God? I believe in a higher power. So I believe that this isn't all there is. I believe there's something out there and in us that is connecting us. And I think it can be called many names. Do you pray? I do. I do. And it's unfortunate because I'm one of those people, too, that when I'm in the corner, I start praying hard. (laughs) You know, that's just real. But it's like, I I can't say that I get up every morning and pray. But... Some mornings now I get up and I thank God that I woke up and Mm. breathed because it just seems like we're in such a tumultuous time that it's scary. Mm -hmm. I worry sometimes that the people in charge are just going to screw things up so badly that normal people like me, it will be the last thing on their mind. Yeah. So I really want to, yeah, I really want to stay focused on caring for myself. So I wake up and say, you know what, I'm really grateful for this day. I hope everyone can be blessed today like I've been blessed in this life because, you know, it's just good to be grateful. I think that's a great way to end it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Paquetta. If you're in Ann Arbor, you will see Paquetta around town. And you can be careful because if you meet me, you might get asked to volunteer. (laughs) That's absolutely right. (laughs) Or you might actually end up with some health care that you can actually use. Yes, I can refer you to every service available in this county. Awesome. Okay, thanks, Viquetta. You're welcome. Thank you, Misty. Yeah, man.